you're listening to the Soul Source Podcast. I'm your host, Raquel Amel. Soul Source exists to share stories that are shaping our world today. We go straight to the source of information to give you the best insights on topics and show you what's being done about those issues as well as ways that you can help to make a difference. So buckle up, Soul Source Society, because we're about to get started. If it feels like it's abuse, it is abuse. Thanks for tuning in to Soul Source. I'm your host, Raquel Amel, and I'm joined today with a very extra special guest who's bringing light to a topic that is very important to talk about right now with everything going on with COVID-19. Wendy Gale is the Director of Program Services at the Harbor House Domestic Abuse Shelter in Appleton, Wisconsin, and she's joining us to talk a little bit more about that topic. Wendy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Raquel. I really appreciate it. And first off, I just want to ask you, Everyone is kind of dealing with COVID-19 craziness is kind of what I'm calling it. How are you dealing with everything? Yeah, it's been really hard. We definitely are one of those businesses that are essential and the need for domestic abuse services is great right now. How are things at the shelter? Are you guys seeing a lot more people, less people? What are you kind of seeing? Well, it's interesting. Um, We are really, it's kind of an ebb and flow Uh, last Monday was extremely busy for crisis calls. This morning, it's a little quieter at the moment. Um, But, you know, I think domestic abuse programs around the area are seeing that. It can be really, really busy, and then it can be uh, a little quiet, which is eerie, because we know domestic violence is not stopping while we have this this crisis happening in our our society. Um, We know, embracing ourselves, that it is actually going to probably be more prevalent. More people are going to need us. We just don't know when that spike is going to come. But when we look around the globe to other countries that are ahead of us, they are already seeing the spike in domestic violence. My gosh, yes. And it's a scary thing to think about because the order comes out for Wisconsin specifically, and it's safer at home. Other states have stay-at-home orders. And and when you hear the word safer at home, it really is, especially in your world, interesting because not everyone is safer at home. That is so true. We think about shelter at home, safe at home, but for victims of domestic violence, it is stuck at home and it is more danger. We know for many victims of violence, home is the most dangerous place to be. How do people get around that right now when they're supposed to stay home, but if you're in that situation, where do you go to try to be safe? Right, right. That's really hard. And it's really calling on victims right now to be creative in their um, safety plans. Um, and, And we know from working with victims of violence, you know, that they are very resilient and very creative in their planning, but they have to dig a little deep because this is unchartered territory. Many of them are probably home with the offender of violence and abuse, and they've got children home. And so everything is more chaotic within that household. But if they can slip off to a quiet site uh, within their home that they might be able to reach out for support to a family member or friend or to a local domestic abuse program, um, you know, We say to victims of violence, the most dangerous place in your home is your kitchen and your bathroom. You've got hard surface area, you've got weapons um, in the kitchen area. And so if there is an escalation, it's best if you can try not to be in those particular areas. Um, You know, maybe it's slipping out for a walk 
and having the opportunity to slip a note to a neighbor saying you need help or calling a family or a friend and maybe talking in code. And is there something too, when you talk about family members or neighbors, um, if you're, if you know somebody could be in a potentially dangerous situation, is there something that they could be doing right now to help those people, but not put them in more harm? Exactly. So if it is a family member or friend who is aware of someone that they care about in an abusive situation, and if it's not uncommon or abnormal for them to call, that would be a great opportunity for them to reach out just to see how that person is doing. And again, maybe calling in code. Um, you know, perhaps uh, they will not make the call because they know that, you know, they're um, connecting with with that person could actually add to the violence and abuse. And there are perpetrators who, you know, get upset if you talk to your sister, talk to your mom, um, because they see them as a threat to the situation. It really is. It's a tricky situation. And as far as um, trying to work and talk through abuse, it's not always a physical thing. I just, I did an interview with Ginger Z from ABC News, and she was talking about abuse with me a little bit because she has actually experienced it, but it wasn't physical abuse. It was emotional and verbal abuse. And so I think it's important to talk about that a little bit. And the fact that abuse is not always bruises and, and black and blue marks. Absolutely. Really, abuse is about power and control. An abusive person wants to get and maintain power and control over someone else. And there are tactics that they use. And definitely, it can be physical violence and it can be sexual violence. Um, the things that we tend to think about, but for so many victims, they are not wearing those visible injuries. Rather, it's in their heart and, and here. It's what is said to them. It's how they feel. It's that power and control. It's that manipulation. It's that isolation. And now we are all facing more social isolation. So that just actually can add to uh, an already bad situation. Exactly. And that isolation piece, I mean, really, I think it's important to let people know, too, that you're not, even though you are isolated, as in we're not supposed to physically be around other people, the resources, everything is still there, is it not? That is very true. The resources are still here. Um, domestic abuse programs are still open for business. We're doing our work a little bit differently. Um, we have advocates that are working remotely, and so they can have virtual appointments with someone to offer support and advocacy. Um, we have, we can do a telephone appointment with someone. We could connect with in a digital way. Um, maybe that's through a, a text or an email. Um, our local courts are still open as well. Um, so if someone needs a protection order, we're still able to help them with that. And what is it about the situation and being at home that gives an abuser a sense of more control? Well, it's right now, it's for an abuser that's at home, it's so much easier to monitor the behavior and the whereabouts of that particular victim. Um, when abusers are at work, they may be calling to make sure victim's home, victim is answering. But in this sense, you know, a lot of people are not going to their jobs. So the victim's home, the, the offender's home, we've got children home, um, and that can just add to a more chaotic household. It doesn't cause abuse, but it can exaggerate what's already an abusive situation. That was exactly where I was going to go, was with the stress and the anxiety. I mean, everyone's feeling it. 
um, myself included. It's definitely a stressful situation. And you compound that with being at home and, and it's just, I would think that's almost a trigger to make things worse. Absolutely. It certainly can be. And we know, you know, children are so impacted by the violence and abuse as well as the victim. It's, it's trauma that everyone is going through. And we know that 90% of children uh, in a given year in an abusive household are witnessing domestic violence and abuse. Um, but now with children being home, you know, that statistic is bound to rise too because they're not at daycare. They're not at school. They're home and they may be witnessing even more episodes of domestic violence happening in their family. So with children being home right now, this can compound, I mean, and become a lifetime of trauma for that child, even like when they grow up, if, if they're living in a home like that, correct? You know, domestic violence is chronic trauma, and then it can become very complex trauma. And, you know, but yet we know that children and victims can be very resilient. So it's really important that uh, children get domestic abuse services as much as a victim does so that they can process that and work through that. And that doesn't have to define their life. And is that a part of um, healing overall when it comes to domestic abuse is getting help and talking through a lot of things? Absolutely, it is. And that's why we have so many programs available for victims and for children. Our children's program for, for young children and for teenagers is very, very important because we know without support and assistance, the statistics tell us that children can um, th that live in abusive homes can become victims and abusers in their adult life. But we know that doesn't yeah. have to do with the life story. And so it's important that we interrupt that cycle and that we work on healing so that the life story is a different story than violence and abuse. Yeah, because that's the hard part, I think, is when you if you grow up in that and if you don't get that help, you think that's normal. You don't even realize what you're doing is not okay. Yeah, it becomes familiar. Um, parents are the first teachers and the very important teachers. And really that sets the tone for expectations in a relationship and what is the norm and the expectation of, of being mom or being dad. What is the thing you think that keeps people still in a relationship? What, what makes them stay with an abuser? Oh, there are so many reasons why people stay. For one, feel that they won't be believed, that they won't be, be believed by their family members, their friends, their coworkers. They're afraid they'll be judged um, for the situation. Um, you know, we may ask the question, well, how could you stay? You have children, you've exposed them to this situation, um, or do you not care enough about yourself? So victims face a lot of judgment. There's also that fear. If I do leave and I take that sense of control back, will that increase the violence and abuse by my perpetrator? Will they be angrier because I'm making these decisions to leave? And then the question, where will I go? There's still many people that are not familiar with domestic abuse programs and shelters, um, services that are available. And then there's that whole financial piece. Can I make it on my own or do... Mm -hmm economically need to stay in this situation. And then of course, children play a big part. You know, victims are not only afraid to stay and afraid to leave, but it is also about their children. 
They want their children to have both parents. They don't want to disrupt their children's day-to-day -day life. They don't want to put their kids in a bad situation. So I want to talk a little bit more about the different types of abuse because we talked about how physical abuse is not the only kind, but how does someone know if they're being abused? It's really easy, I think, to just think, well, you know, they're not hurting me. I'm not physically black and blue. It's not that bad. It's, you know, I'm okay. And it's not. How do you know when it's too much? Some victims, many victims are going to experience verbal abuse. And that would be things like name calling, put down, belittling. Um, you, you know, you can never do anything right. Not even serve a meal at the right time or you know, the right meal. Um, you know, I hate peas and you are serving peas and I like to eat at five o'clock. Um, victims will hear things like that. Um, but it's, it's monitoring them, where they go, who they talk to, um, admonishing them for what they wear, you know, so looking at their clothes, um, putting on makeup, the abuser might um, start saying things like, well, who are you going to see? Um, feel very threatened. You know, many abusers think that their partners are off cheating on them. Um, when someone says, I'm just going to work and I want to look good. You know, so just really monitoring every facet of their life. It can be spiritual abuse. It can be withholding um, them from participating in organized religion or um, uh, you know, faith of any type. It can be finances. Um, some victims are given such a small allowance and they're supposed to run a household on that, you know, by groceries and the toiletries and the, the kids' school lunches. It's really hard to do. And so, you know, it, it's more about if it feels like it's abuse, it is abuse. And that's what we, we trust is we trust that you know, a victim of violence will know this is not okay. This is unacceptable. I'm not being valued for who I am and what I think and what I believe. And so we do see a lot of people that reach out to our helpline and they're, they're wondering, am I in an abusive situation? I would have never thought of that, getting calls in to ask, but I think that's really cool that, that people are asking and they are reaching out. It's good to be self-aware like that. Do you think that there is a stereotype out there or uh, a stigma that people have around victims of abuse? Well, I think there's perceived stereotypes. You know, I think people think, well, it's somebody else. It's somebody in a lower economic position. It's someone in a marginalized group. It's someone different than me. And the truth of the matter is domestic violence doesn't know any of those boundaries happens to people in all economic levels, all races, all creeds, all backgrounds, all, it can happen in, in different genders and gender expressions. It can happen to people with disabilities and other needs. It, it happens across the board to, to so many people. And so there, there are stereotypes, but there is no one domestic violence victim. And I think that's the biggest thing is for people to just understand across the board, it can be anybody and just to be supportive and be there for those who may be struggling with this. Absolutely. Absolutely. How are you guys keeping people safe at the shelter with everything going on with COVID-19? If people do need to come over, if they do reach out, 
how do they know that that they're going to be safe and not get COVID-19? Well, you know, we can't promise uh, that someone won't be exposed to that, but we are trying everything we can possibly do um, to, to lessen that possibility. Um, we're really good because at our program, we had done an expansion and renovation um, in 2018 and early 2019. And what that okay. did is it bedrooms. And the idea on that was to be more trauma-informed because we had family sharing bedrooms that didn't feel very comfortable when you're coming out of a very horrible situation. So those bedrooms is very convenient right now. We have private bedrooms, private bathrooms. And um, we are also looking into setting up maybe some suite type um, situations with our rooms to make it comfortable for individuals. But we are asking that everyone wash their hands constantly if they've left the building because they have an essential job or they had to go get a medication upon return them to wash their hands. Um, we're taking daily temperatures of all residents as well as all staff members. We are asking all of those same questions that everyone's asking. So you guys have put in a lot of measures. So people should not be worried if they do need help and they do need to reach out. They, this COVID-19 should not keep them from calling for help. We certainly hope not because domestic violence and abuse can lead to serious physical injury. It can also lead to death. People die because of domestic violence. And we certainly don't want that to happen. We don't want to see our statistics of domestic violence homicides go up. So we, I think I can speak very uh, candidly for all of my colleagues around the state of Wisconsin. We are open for business. We are here for you. You know, please call your local program. And we're happy to talk with you on the phone. We're happy to safety plan with you and safe shelters available if you need it. Thank you, Wendy. I appreciate you being here. This was such an important topic, and I am so glad we got to cover it together today. Thank you. Thank you as well. Thank you for listening. And if you want to hear more Soul Source, subscribe to our show. Soul Source is up on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify, as well as just about any other platform that podcasts are hosted on. So, Go ahead, subscribe to Soul Source, and what's even better is if you would subscribe to our show and leave a review. Maybe even share an episode or two with your friends. And if there's something you want us to talk about, we can do that too. We have a Facebook page called the Soul Source Society. It's where we interact with listeners, share some special content only seen in that group, talk about shows, get ideas for future podcasts, and overall, honestly, we just have a lot of fun. That's Soul Source Society on Facebook. We hope to see you there. Soul Source is brought to you by Red Shoes, Inc., a leading agency specializing in crisis and strategic communications, media relations, social media, and so much more. To learn more about Soul Source and Red Shoes, visit us at redshoesinc.com.